Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of In Conversation With. My name is Janice Tan and joining us today is Hubilo's VP Corporate Marketing, Lisa Leary Perez, who will share more about do-it-yourself events. Just a little bit of context, according to a survey we did, event planners think it would take over a year for an event novice to plan and execute an effective event. With companies battling screen fatigue, production values of events have gone up significantly. Organizations were also sent scrambling by the pandemic to put together non-traditional event planners such as internal communications departments, HR groups, and DEI councils. However, DIY may still not be enough, and we will hear from Liesl why this is the case. Hi, Liesl. How are you? Hi. I'm well, thank you. It's so nice to be on your show. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you also. Could you tell us more about yourself and what you do with Hubelo? Sure. Um, so I am the Vice President of Corporate Marketing here at Hubelo, which means I oversee a lot of different things, um, including content, uh, including influencer marketing, social media marketing, um, analyst relations, customer marketing. At a certain point, I was also doing brand um, and um, events, um, and um, I've cheerfully incubated those uh, departments, and they're now off on their own. So <laughs> trying to build up all these other functionalities as well and scale them for the business. Wow, that's definitely a wide array of things. I'm sure it's interesting for you at Who Below, huh? Yes, it, no, no two days are ever the same for me. Well, this applies to the world of events also, where no two days are ever the same. And the world of events has also undergone a massive transformation. What would you say is the biggest transformation you have seen so far, Liesl? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of planning in a hybrid event right now, <laughs> which is the first for us. Um, so I think the the hybridization of events has definitely been a change for me. I'm, I'm used to planning um, your normal, traditional, in-person user conferences. And those were always a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of work, but a whole lot of fun. But um, I suddenly realized that, oh, you know, I thought hybrid, you know, you, you almost think like, oh, well, just a virtual component. It's going to be easy, but it's not. And it's like planning a whole nother event on top of the other event that you were doing, um, except it's now asynchronous and in, in like five other countries. So, so that was, that was an interesting journey. Our main focus for today's podcast is about creating a great event, even though you might not exactly be from this world of events. That is definitely easier said than done. And we have seen many non-traditional event planners, such as internal comms, HR groups, and even DEI councils pick up these skills over the past year. What do you make of this changing trend, Liesl? Yes, I, I'm telling you right now, this happened to me, okay? And the whole reason I actually ended up at Hubelo was mm -hmm. I was actually running um, uh, global corporate marketing for a company that had 50,000 employees. And unlucky me, I also happened to start at this company on January uh, 20th, uh, 2020. So right before the pandemic, I was in a new industry, a new company, um, a new role, and um, had just gone to the sales kickoff and got super, super sick. Pretty sure it was COVID, although they didn't have a test for it at the time. Um, and, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, but finally after like, you know, I came back, I all of a sudden we were being asked, my internal communications team 
was being asked not only to put together all of the communications regarding COVID-19 and the response, because 50,000 employees around the world have want to know um, how to how they're going to get to work. Um, but we suddenly realized that just putting together email communications, we couldn't put it together the email communications fast enough, right? Um, so regulations were changing every single day. Um, and every single country had a different um, set of requirements. So for instance, in the Philippines, they actually closed down Metro Manila. So you could only go to work if you were within walking distance um, of your office. So we had a lot of people actually um, living in the call center. <laughs> wow. And, and um, you know, that, that obviously required a whole lot of, of communications um, to explain how that was going to work and what was going to happen and what we were doing for them and the health and safety. But I mean, like after a certain point, it was like, okay, these were changing every day. You had to have, you know, com- daily conversations with people. Um, and, you know, as people, as the pandemic wore on, it became pretty clear that we also needed to get morale up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas we used to host big events and big fiestas and, you know, big, corporate offsites, that was suddenly not um, a thing that we could do. So of course, what do people ask for? They ask the internal communications team to, well, why don't we just do some more town halls? And it sounds really easy, right? We're just going to do more town halls. Okay. But here's the reality of doing a global town hall for 50,000 employees. A, our Zoom license only uh, could take 3,500 seats. <laughs> so who's paying for that? Um, B, there's different time zones. So you can't do one global like town hall necessarily, apart from the fact that you don't have the seats. Um you know, there's also like different content that needed to happen for different regions. So that was an irritating. <laughs> um, plus, plus, you know, every time you plan any of these things, I think a lot of people don't realize that you have to have dry runs and rehearsals and you have to, um, you know, explain what needs to happen. And at the head of all of this, you know, everybody just wants to hear from our CEO and what he wants to do. But now he has to do the same presentation six times because for 50,000 employees in six different regions, you have to, and you only have 3,500 licenses. (laughs) You're sort of like trying to host an event and hoping to God people don't show up because then they're going to realize that, you know, there weren't enough licenses for everybody to go um, to the event. So it, it was really a challenge um, because my team wasn't resourced for that. The internal communications team were used to um, creating communications for health and safety and and when the IT you know outages go and happen like that that that's what they're used to doing, right? And then all of a sudden they were forced into and now you're gonna do town halls. You're going to do like six of them. Now you're going to, and let's, we're going to have to do this every month because everybody's just, we just have to get together. Right. And that was, I think a lot of people are finding themselves in that situation. Do you think this trend will continue? Oh yeah. 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 Because, uh, you know, it suddenly dawned on people that, oh, this actually is kind of, kind of cool. Even, even with the kludgy, you know, uh, zoom call, um, it was still better than, trying to send out email after email after email about what the, you know, what we're doing and what, you know, it doesn't convey the same message. Um, so I think that there's definitely going, this trend will continue because there's so many benefits that come from it and, and sort of very little downside for a lot mm-hmm. of people. So, I mean, when you think about it, 
your events are sort of your last analog channel in marketing and in communications. Um, and everything else is digitally transformed. So pretty sure this one's going to transform too. Wow, that was incredible. You've shared a bit with us, you know, about your challenges when it comes to planning. What do you think is usually the biggest challenge individuals will face when it comes to creating an event? I think, especially for people who don't do this day in and day out, um, I think just the logistics of it all, I think can be really, really hard. Um, I think people think that it's just going to be as easy as sending out an Outlook invite to 50,000 employees and somehow they're all going to show up. Uh, <laughs> creating creating an agenda, creating a run of show, actually run of show. That I think that is where everybody is just going to like start crying because... Um, you know, it is actually quite complicated to choreograph um, who's coming in and out of mm. meetings and, and who's, who you're going to be showing and um, and then making that fun um, yeah. for everybody, um, especially if you're doing it on a monthly basis. That's where things become really challenging. And I think that's where there are limitations to some of the current platforms. Um, you know, it's it's fine if you just have one person talking and everyone's listening and you know, that's the extent of your engagement. But if you're really trying to build um, culture remotely, uh, you need to have some some engagement features. You need to have contests. You need to have your polls. You have to, you know, let let employees talk and chatter amongst themselves. And, and, and those kinds of engagement features, I think, are really important. Yeah, that is so true. You know, creating an event in the virtual world is not as easy as some might think. It's not about just getting in front of the camera and saying your piece, but you need to be really engaging too. And this is getting harder as people around the world suffer from virtual fatigue. What are some of the ways you're seeing brands trying to engage their audiences? Yeah, you know, I don't think people are actually fatigued because they're watching screens. Mm. And because nobody's saying they're Netflix fatigued. I mean, yep. people are bragging about their, you know, <laughs> their binge marathons, right? So it's not because of the screens that people are actually getting fatigued. I think what ends up happening is that, you know, when you're stuck sort of just on a boring storyline, you're going to change the channel. Mm-hmm. And we have to think about changing the channel whenever we're producing a, a virtual event, because it is more like a broadcast. And it needs to have a really great storyline. It's got to have really great content. It's got to have uh, a lot of different types of things that people, that attendees can do, um, whether it's, oh, I can check out somebody's profile or, oh, I can go participate in the um, contest. We also have to just embrace the fact that people are multitasking, right? So asking them to do something and also providing them with value from doing that activity. Um, is actually also really, really important. So what I've seen be really valuable for people is when they can win a contest and then they get a prize in the mail or they, you know, get get a nice shout out um, from the host. Uh, I think those are the kinds of things that really engage people. Engaging audiences is also an expensive investment, right? How can smaller companies or teams keep up with this if they don't have the biggest of budgets to splurge? You know, I, I think we actually have a lot of associations as well that work with us and they're not necessarily the biggest, you know, they're not, they're not profit driven per se. So they're not trying to get um, a return on investment by how many attendees came and, you know, their whole 
um, ROI is, you know, do our members feel included? Do they feel loved? Do they feel, you know, do they want to continue to participate? Um, and I think there's a couple of easy things that you can do um, that don't cost any money. One is to find somebody who's actually a really good host. And you don't necessarily need to be, I mean, we all have those friends, right? Who um, just, you know, can can engage anybody in any situation. Um, sometimes it's your salespeople too. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones who are really good at, you know, engaging people and getting people to talk. I have to be honest, I'm sort of a natural born introvert. And so um, they actually made me host one of these events. And how and is it? it? It was terrifying. Can I just tell you that, like, I have a professional host. Her name is Rachel Moore. Everybody knows Rachel. Um, she's she's kind of the face of who below, but uh, and you know we love her. And I she makes it look easy, but when I went to go do it, I actually really choked. I really struggled hard on it, and I did not realize how hard it was to actually post and how how hard it is to smile throughout the mm-hmm. entire thing for like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so um, to keep your energy up, but but we know people who everybody knows somebody who can do this. But you know, you the goal of uh, of a host is to caffeinate somebody through the screen. Um, I think there's other things that you can do as well. It doesn't have to be expensive. Um, just having um, visual contests and gamifying the experience that that can actually be really great. I actually um, host with my team. Um, occasionally, I will do um, online escape rooms, you know, um, and it was actually a great experience for them because I suddenly realized that what you can, you know, what you can do online. And it's actually a lot of fun. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And you can you don't even necessarily need to um, pay for it. You can actually create your own sort of, you know, visual kind of games and, and, um, there's tons of resources, um, like that on the internet. I also think that having just great content will differentiate just, you know, everything, even, even if you had a live event, um, and you know, you invited a bunch of people just because it's a live event doesn't mean it's a great event, right? So make sure you know your audience make sure you're delivering that content that's a value to them. Don't just talk to talk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, also have them have something to take away after the event, maybe. And it could be just, you know, Oh, here's our ebook or here's a tip sheet, or here's something for you that, you know, that um, showcases the value that coming together has, has delivered. Many will choose virtual event technology so that event planning can be templated streamlined, and even executed with the support of a client experience team. What do you think of this strategy? Is this a good way to go about or should you try to always customize it? Uh, never try to customize your technology. Mm, okay, why? <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is like, don't try to build your own. Okay. You can definitely brand your, your platform by all means, brand every single inch of the platform that you can. I We have clients who charge for um, the push notifications. Like they, they actually charge sponsors to, to be able to push out a notification to the audience, which I thought was pretty ingenious. Um, you know, the real estate on certain parts of the platform, they actually charge for, they they manage to monetize the entire platform for their event. So that part, that kind of customization, I'm all for. But 
um, if any, for anyone who's ever tried to build a software product from scratch, like don't do that. You, <laughs> you got better things to be doing than building your own, um, software. I assure you. Um, the other thing I have to say is you mentioned the, the client experiences team. I have never met an event planner self-included who has not wanted an extra pair of hands. Um, because events are tough. Events are, you know, there's a crazy amount of work that, that gets involved. Um, and um, having a client experiences team that's there before, during, and after the event, um, it's like having a, a free set of hands. Why wouldn't you want them? And they not only do, are they a free set of hands, but they're a free set of hands who actually know all the tech um, and know how to make it work <laughs> for mm-hmm. you. So <laughs> there's no training involved. There's not, they, they literally can just, they're just there to help. And I don't know how anybody that tries to do this without that kind of help and support. Yes, definitely. I think it's one less thing for the events team to worry about, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, I think, I, I mean, you know, I, uh, all event planners are, are, you know, struggling to just try to make their content as interesting as possible. And, and that requires a lot of creativity. So when you have to move from being in that creative mindset to all of a sudden being technical, it's just, <laughs> there's a reason the brain actually, you know, tries to paper over this <laughs> so you don't freak out because otherwise it's like, it's very jarring for your brain to have to rebuild itself to all of a sudden focus on this very different, you know, set of skills. Yep. Fair enough. We have talked about the process of planning an event. Let's talk about post event. We often think that once an event is over, the work is over, but it's clearly not the case as that's when the data mining starts to truly understand your audience. Do you think enough importance is placed on this? No, I don't think there there's enough importance placed on this. So there's a lot of things that uh, event planners can do with their, because when you think about it, events are really just another uh, great avenue for content, right? Um, and so what we've started doing is we've started taking the event content and running it through transcription services, AI transcription services. It's like 15 bucks for, you know, transcribing the event. And we just turn those um, event talks and presentations into blogs. Mm -hmm. So, um, so there's, there's actually a lot that you can do um, with the, uh, the content in the event itself. And then you can get into the analytics. You can see, you know, how many, um, how many interactions were there, how many meetings were set, how many, um, you know, comments were made and that, that's also very interesting as well. It's definitely interesting for me to know like what top, what sessions rated the best, what topics are most interesting. Um, we actually have one client, um, they're called Our Africa mm-hmm. and their event lasts for two weeks wow. and they're, op- they're open for 20, you know, 24 seven for two weeks because they're a travel show. And, um, you know, people schedule meetings. Um, so, Travel buyers will, will schedule meetings with vendors in Africa for like if you want to go on a safari, right? That there's a safari vendor and they'll show you what they what they can do. Um, but that that one show I think had over two hundred thousand interactions. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was really interesting because they're um, you know we tend to think of events as being a day. Yeah, but they don't have to be. I mean, not anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the fact that some people are actually keeping their events open longer is actually working to their advantage because 
Um, people don't necessarily want to be tied into a day or a time. Um, some people want to just watch certain parts of the event. They don't necessarily want to watch the whole thing. And we should just sort of embrace that, right? And um, because as long as the content is, is relevant to those people and you give them ways to engage even after the event is over, I think you're going to reap a lot of benefits. And so the after the event is actually becoming much more critical than it was before. Liesl, you know, some might argue that if you're capturing data after an event, you've already lost the plot. How do you guys at Hubelo offer real-time input and feedback based on the audience data you're helping your clients collect? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think it depends on what the client is looking for. So, I mean, we can definitely, um, you know, provide all those analytics and, and usually your client experience manager can download all of that data for you and hand it over, um, you know, right after the event. Um, so that part is, is, is pretty much taken care of, but there's different ways to look at that data as well. Um, and so that's something that, you know, we're happy to sit down, um, with event planners to kind of explain, um, well, what this actually means is that you had a spike in interest on this topic <laughs> versus other, you know, types of topics, but it's really dependent on kind of what a client is looking for and mm-hmm. what they're, um, they're using as their KPI for success. What are some main points that clients usually look at? Yeah, it's it, and again, it kind of just depends on the the client. But I am you know in the our, our Africa case, one of the um, their major um, KPIs were how many meetings were set because it it really provided some really good feedback to the um, you know vendors who paid you know to um, show showcase their um, services and products. Um, how, you know what kind of opportunity there was. And it's really difficult to get that kind of data when you're um, when you're doing like a live event. You can kind of guess how many people are coming by the booth, right? They can, you, yep. they can say, oh, well, we've got 36,000 people coming to yep. this event. Um, but it's another thing altogether when, you know, you can have a, you can show like, actually you had, you know, 700 people come to your show <laughs> or to your, to yeah. your booth. Um, and, you know, this is how many actually downloaded the assets you had. And, you know, it tells, it t- gives them some good feedback um, in terms of how they can make that better. Yeah, that's more concrete feedback for sure, compared to an estimate that you get from physical events, right? Yeah, yeah, those kinds of things can matter. And then, you know, you can also, you can even, you know, categorize it even further if you, you know, if people are sort of in the same industry, you can kind of benchmark. Okay, well, other booths who do something similar to you had this many. <laughs> so that's helpful. Okay, Lisa, I have one last question for you. In your view, what will the world of events look like in 2022? Okay, so we're definitely going back to live events, um, but I don't think hybrid and virtual are dead. Um, mm-hmm. Quite the opposite. I think what you're going to see is that there's going to be more um, options for um, for virtual events for people. Um, because regardless of whether or not you can go to a live event, a lot of people just don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they've kind of like, it's it's actually, for me, in a lot of cases, it's like, it's, it, it's rare that an all-day event is going to be productive for me. Yeah, I have so much to do in a day that like, I can't imagine spending an entire day out of the office um because i'm already planning our next event after you know this one is done like there's <laughs> there's like five other ones to do um and so you know spending a day um out of the office to go to a live event is something that would be challenging right um 
but I definitely still want to participate in the conversations that are happening around, you know, topics that I'm interested in. So I definitely see there being, um, you know, more live events this year, but your hybrid and virtual events are going to continue to be a great option, um, especially for other departments in an organization that suddenly realize that they, they now can actually um, reach more people through these kinds of platforms. Um, I also think that there's going to be the rise of the asynchronous event um, where people can kind of come and go as they please um, on their on their schedules. Um, We're all, you know, sort of the the question of where you work has already been answered. Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Just work wherever you want. Um, But when you work is actually, I think, the next question. And so as you see more people kind of um, pursuing asynchronous schedules because, you know, they want that flexibility. They want to go to yoga in the middle of the night or day or whatever, then you, you have to kind of reflect flexibility in the event calendar as well. Mm. Because people are going to want to attend when they want to attend, not, not when you want them to attend necessarily. So I think there's going to be a rise in those asynchronous types of events as a result. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Hubelo services, visit www.hubelo.com. Interested in having your story told? Reach out to us at www.marketing-interactive.com.